I didn't tell you how I got out of prison. At the end of eight and a half years of prison, Texas had an overcrowding problem. And in that overcrowding problem, the federal government said they had to let somebody loose. And they did a lottery by and large. And in August of 1983, I was a winner of the lottery. And God supernaturally, after being told in June, the governor said he will never sign your parole. In June of that year, I was told never. In August of that year, I was told time served. No parole, no supervision. Here's your go. Go free. God, if you'll wait on him. If you were to look in your Bibles or on your iPad or on your phone at the book of Hebrews chapter 13 and Revelations chapter, twin, uh, chapter 12, I'm going to read out of you of those twin scriptures. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about the blood tonight. I'm going to talk to you about the blood of Jesus. The Bible says it this way. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. By the blood of the eternal covenant. Some covenants have a time frame on them. This one is the eternal covenant. If you went to Revelations chapter 12, verse number 10, it's a familiar verse, and 11. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He accuses them before our God day and night, and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even to death. The power that we possess as believers, the authority we possess as believers, the grace we have been given as believers was given by the blood. Our ability to take an invisible atmosphere and through our praises create a throne for God to sit on to change the atmosphere on earth so we have access to heaven through our worship was given to us by the blood. Without the blood, our voices have no eternal standing. People don't understand the power of praise and worship. It's why they're out in the hall talking during praise and worship. You don't understand the difference between you and heaven. The only separation is atmosphere. And when you change the atmosphere, you change your access to what God has in the invisible. People say, you're going to preach three times. Why do you want to sing every worship song? Because without access to that which is invisible, what I have to say has no eternal anointing on it. I don't have what God wants you to have. I have to get what God wants you to have and then give it to you. And it comes just like manna. Every prayer, every song, every thought. We live in crazy times. The world has seen some difficult times, but in our generation, this is it. The anger and the animosity and the vitriol are creating pain and pathos that people have never experienced. The hatred 
that flows in every direction from women to men, from blacks to whites, from whites to blacks, from Democrats to Republicans, Republicans, Democrats, from nations to nations. It's not like we disagree. It's like if you disagree with me, I will destroy you. The anger, the maskers, the non-maskers, the open states, the closed states, the non-vacciners, the vacciners. There's no discussion. There is a spirit of self-destruction in the world today. The Bible says in the last days, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And I'm telling you, I feel a whole lot of shaking going on. This is insanity. People lie and the news supports it. People tell the truth and they're kicked off Twitter. Amazon would not let the Bible be shipped today if it was a current book because God only has one definition of marriage. A man in Finland, a lady in Finland that was on their, like a United States representative, whatever their position is, was sent to prison for six years for putting on her Twitter account Bible verses identifying sexual orientation and the definition of marriage. Sent to prison. You say, what are we going to do? It's getting crazy. Well, first of all, I love what the pastor said when she said the most common rebuke in the Bible is stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And most people, when you see somebody afraid, you go over to them and you say, oh, don't be afraid. Stop it. Being afraid is a sin. The Bible says stop sinning because some have no knowledge of God. When Christians live in fear, they rob themselves of their faith. Doesn't mean we don't love people. It means the answer is get out of that. Stop doing that. What does it take to get you out of that? We all have dealt with anxiety and fear. I've got a 30-minute connection in Salt Lake City. I'm afeard I might miss an airplane. Not really. Worst case scenario, I get frustrated. Being afraid is not an answer. I was flying back from New Zealand a couple of years ago. There was a lady sitting beside me, and it was bad turbulence. This plane is bouncing up and down. I mean, it was bad. And anytime you go across the equator, there's a lot of turbulence. And she kept grabbing me. And I thought, you need to not grab me. If this plane's going down, you need to find a fat person to get on. Get you a cushion. Something that'll float after we land down. I mean, but I'm thinking, stop it. I can't save you. If the plane goes down, I'm going to heaven. The answer is you might want to get saved. Somebody said, wouldn't that be horrible to die in a plane crash? Probably not any more than in a hospital. 
for three or four months or in hospice care, dying's probably not going to be a pleasant experience. But life on the other side is worth dying for. You got to stay focused on where you're going, not what's going on. We live in a time that we don't understand why our faith is not where it needs to be. Faith and fear cannot occupy the same space and time. Both of them take time and space. And if you give your time or your space to fear, faith won't work. So you have to control your time and your space, which means you might want to control what you listen to. If you get mad when you watch CNN or you get mad when you watch Fox every day, you might just want to stop. How'd you lose your joy? Well, I was listening to what those broadcasters said. My Lord, do you know what's going on in this country? You don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. And I'm absolutely certain Washington has no idea what's going on. But why do you want to get mad every day? This world's not our home. Most of our problems exist because we're no longer a covenant people. Our country and our churches today, not every church, but many of them, most of them, are living off the prayers of a generation that's gone. We're more interested in entertainment than intercession. We're more interested in how quick can we get out then what does it take to press in? We all still want the blessings of God, but we don't want to walk in covenant with a God of blessing. We live in a generation, a world, and a country that's trying to get God out of everything. How did the man in Maine or Connecticut filed a lawsuit to be permitted to marry his mother last month. And we think that's horrible, but once man starts defining marriage, there is no definition. If God doesn't get to do it, there is no definition. And once you kick God out of school and take the Ten Commandments off the wall, and try to make God go off in the churches and stay out of the public places, and government can become God, then man makes his own rules. I sat in front of a house committee in the state of Tennessee, and one of the ladies was asking me why I didn't believe in a woman's right to do what she wanted to do with her own body, freedom of choice, right to life, freedom of choice, which is abortion or not abortion. When people change the language, pay attention. And I said, ma'am, I believe in a woman's right to choose as much as you do. She said, well, I thought you were against abortion. I said, I am. I don't believe a woman has the right to choose to do what she wants to do with her body. She said, well, I do. I said, no, you don't. Do you believe prostitution ought to be illegal for women that choose to do that? It's their body. She said, well, that's immoral. And I said, and that's the problem. You've decided you determine morality. I'm against prostitution, and I'm against abortion. But if you're going to be for a woman's right to choose, you need to support prostitution. 
the chairman, he said, Pastor Davis, you're always the most entertaining person that comes in these meetings. But you know what? That is an argument, isn't it? All women are not trafficked. They're deceived. We live in a country that wants to get God out, but they still want all of God's blessings. They want the Lord of creation out, but they want all of the blessings of his creation. They just don't want to keep the covenant. And the problem is a covenant has terms and conditions. Blessings if you do it, curses if you don't. Abraham kept covenant. Noah had a covenant. Moses and Daniel had a relational experience with God that gave them covenant. I read to you out of Hebrews 13, 20, you and I have access to an everlasting covenant that before the foundation of the world, God made a covenant with himself that the Lamb of God was going to be slain. When God makes a covenant with himself, it's never broken. That covenant will always exist, and the blessings of that covenant will always be available. When God reformed the earth in Genesis, and he made it new again because it had gone into chaos, it's very interesting what God did. God said, let's, let's make some light. And if you look at it, God made the lights in heavens sun by day and the moon by night. God patted himself on the back and said, oh, that's good. That's really good. And then God made the land and the water, and God looked at the waves crashing on the beaches and crashing on the rocks, and he patted himself on the back again and said, I'm a good God. I'm a creative God. That's really good. And then God made the birds and the peacocks and the parrots and the sparrows, and he made the fish and the sunfish and the sharks and the whales, and God made all the animals on the planet, and he looked around and said, oh, that's good. That's very good. You know, God made everything until he got to man. And God didn't speak man into existence. He formed man. And from the time God formed man, he never praised himself because man was God's amen on this earth. When God made man, man was intended to be the amen of God. When you look at Adam, Adam named everything but nothing named Adam. God didn't make anything grow until Adam was ready to cultivate it. God's not going to give you what he has for you until you're ready to manage what God gives you. A lot of people said, I'm praying, I'm praying. Are you growing? Are you growing? Forget what you want. Get to where you need to be, and it'll be there. Anybody ever play football in here? You ever played receiver? You know where the quarterback throws the ball? Where you're supposed to be. If you don't get there, you miss the pass. God is throwing the blessing where you're supposed to be, and if you're not there, you don't see it. Our growth, our tenacity, our discipline, our covenant relationship with God that we walk in is what gives us access to the blessings of the covenant. I'm going to ask you a question. Where did Adam's blood come from? God took the dirt. Remember how he didn't speak it. He molded Adam in his own image. There's no blood in the dirt. You can go dig the dirt out there. You can go dig the dirt over there. 
You can go dig the dirt in Texas, in New York City, in California, in Canada, in Antarctica, in Africa. I don't care where you dig dirt, there's no blood in the dirt. God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and he became a living being. It was the breath of God that birthed the blood in Adam. So if the life of the flesh is in the blood, the life of the blood is in the breath. The breath of God creates. When God speaks, creation happens. When Adam had the breath of God in his blood, he was able to speak dominion over the creation because his words carried the breath of God. But when Adam sinned, his hemoglobin didn't go down, his platelets didn't quit flowing, his cells didn't stop up, his plasma didn't back up, but the breath of God left his blood, and without the breath of God, the blood may keep the body alive, but the soul and the spirit are separated from God and dead. I want us to say it again. If the life of the flesh is in the blood... The life of the blood is in the breath. See, until Adam sinned, there wasn't mankind. There was only Godkind. When the animals saw Adam, they saw God. When the bees saw Adam, they saw God. When the fish saw Adam, they saw God. Everything on earth, when they saw Adam, they saw the image and the authority and the power of God. But after Adam's sin, if you read your Bible, the word mankind is introduced. If you read over in Genesis chapter 4, we always say we're created in the image of God. We were created in the image of God, but after Adam sinned in Genesis 4, it said he and Eve created children after their own image. That's not God's image, because God's image has life. Your image has death. And you know the story of Cain and Abel. How Cain killed Abel and what God say? The blood of your brother calls to me. Blood has a voice. How did they get to that place that a brother killed a brother? When Adam lost his fatherhood, he passed it on to his sons and they lost their brotherhood. And when we lose our fatherhood and we lose our brotherhood, we lose our neighborhoods. The only way to save your neighborhood, your city, your state, your country, your world, is to get the image of God and the relationship with God back into a fatherhood experience. And once people have fatherhood, they're going to know how to operate in brotherhood, and we're going to save our neighborhoods. We need a revival in America. We need a revival around the world. Because where the breath of God is not in us, we don't act like God. We don't act godly. The blood cries out. The blood in America of aborted children cries out to the throne of God. The blood of America 
of people that have been abused and murdered cries out to God. The people in America are being minimized, marginalized, and treated unjustly cries out to God. The blood of people that have been shot by police officers cries out to God, but the blood of 400 police officers that have been killed in the last year cries out to God. The blood cries out. And that's what happened with Jesus. What happened to Jesus? God overshadowed Mary and he breathed by the Holy Spirit blood into Mary because the type of blood a child carries is determined by the Father. The blood of a child is determined by the man. Who was Jesus' father? Wasn't Joseph. He had breath in his blood. Remember what they said about Jesus? What manner of man is this? Is that not amazing? We had not seen anybody like this since Adam. This man makes the wind and the waves obey him. This man calls Lazarus out of the grave. This man can just be touched and women get healed. This man can take over the lepers. This man can open the blind eyes. This man can feed the multitudes. This man, what's, what's, what manner of man in this? This is back to the God-man that has the breath of God in his blood, and therefore he has creative authority and spiritual authority and dominion over everything upon this planet. He is the man manifestation of the everlasting covenant that God made with himself before the foundation of the world. Wherever Jesus walked, creation obeyed him. I want you to think about the life of Jesus. As Jesus begins the passion, you know, he goes to the garden he prays there, not my will, but thy will be done. And then he goes to the house of Caiaphas, and he gets beat on his face until you couldn't recognize him. He gets stripes beat on his back until you literally could not see any of the flesh left. He's taken to the cross, and they put holes in his hands and spears in his feet. Put a crown of thorns on his head press it in, two-inch thorns crowned in, crushed into his skull. They pierce him, and out of his side came water. You know what Jesus was doing? He was shedding the blood everywhere the curse has got to be broken. See, when Jesus was in the garden, and he's praying, and he's saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. Remember the garden of Adam, where Adam said, God, not your will, but my will be done. Man lost the ability to submit his will to God. He couldn't control his own attitude. And Jesus said, God, I'm praying not my will, but your will be done. And the blood began to come out of the pores of his head. You know what Jesus said? I'm going to put a little blood on that. I'm going to put some blood on man's will. I'm going to put some blood on man's ability to humble himself before God. I'm going to put some blood on it. If you were an old Pentecostal, you remember when they said we're going to put some blood on it. They had a little jerk that they did when they put some blood on it. It hurts too much at this age. I'm not doing that again. And then he goes to the house of Caiaphas, and over there in the house, they beat Jesus until he said he was marred. You could not recognize him. 
Why did he do that? Because you and I lost our self-image. We don't know who we are. People ask me all the time, Marty, what does God want from me? I don't know who I am and stuff. And the answer is Jesus died and gave up who he was so you could discover who you are. All God wants to do with you is introduce you to the you you've not met yet. There's a you you haven't met. And Jesus said, since you lost your image, I'm going to give it back. But to make it happen, I'm going to have to put some blood on it. And then they beat him with those 39 stripes on his back, tearing the flesh off his back. And Jesus said, you know what? Sickness and disease are a curse and the product of sin. They're the product of the curse upon this planet. And he didn't want us to be a judgment. Remember when they asked Jesus who to send this man or his parents? He said, what's the matter with you? That is a prideful question. That doesn't mean God don't want to heal you. In 2013, I was diagnosed with leukemia. And I was in a $17 million building program for our children's ministry center. It's incredible. And I knew that if I went to the doctor, the cancer doctor, after my doctor found this stuff in my blood, that I would, the bank would freak out. And so I didn't go. And that summer, I took my son on a motorcycle ride around the continental borders of the United States because he was graduating. I did a 30-day devotion with him that we turned into a book called The Last Ride. And in the fall of that year, my doctor found out I wasn't seeing the oncologist, the hematologist. And he made the appointment, and I canceled it because we still didn't have the finances in place. The bank was letting us spend the money, but we didn't have the contract. And it was on November of that year that I finally got that contract signed. I called Pastor George. I flew to Dallas. Told him what the two reports were. The second one, they did blood and urine and a lot more tests. My, my doctor, I take uh, cholesterol medicine because I have an enchilada addiction. <laughs> and I'm not going to not eat enchiladas, so you can just give me some whatever you're giving me. <laughs> and if it's not working, give me another one. I mean, I'm, I'm not changing my diet. Uh, you know, 100 years from now, if I live 10 more years, I'm not going to care. But if I didn't enjoy my life, that'd be sad. What'd you do? Well, I ate granola until I died. I, no, I'm, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I told Pastor, and he asked me the question. He said, what does Gail say? That's my wife. And I said, uh, well, I didn't tell her. He said, what? And I said, well, I didn't want to worry her with it. He said, who did you tell? I said, nobody. He said, so you've been diagnosed with cancer for six, seven months, and you've told nobody? I said, no, sir. He said, all right. Is your wife okay financially? I said, Pastor, for the million she's going to get on that life insurance policy, she can get a counselor and a pool boy. Pastor Erickson, play like you didn't hear that. But my pastor, the man that was there when I was told you're never getting out, laid his hands on me on the back porch and prayed the prayer of faith. I went to the oncologist in Nashville the day after that. I'd had to do a 24-hour urine sample and had to bring that back after giving a couple of gallons of blood, you know, 1,700 vials for whatever. And I went through an x-ray, and they roll you on your side, then they roll you on your belly, then they roll you on the other side, then they roll you on your back, then they roll you standing up. They, that lady knew more about me than God. I go see the doctor the next day. Ashley Shipley is her name, wonderful little Baptist lady. And she came in, 
and she put the first reports up and put the last reports up. And then she put her report up. She began to weep. She said, you had this, and it's a non-treatable two-year maximum lifespan. Mari, there's no cancer in your body. By his stripes. We put a little blood on it. Some of you are saying, why did you tell your wife? If you're not going to go to the doctor, you're just going to upset somebody. I made a decision to never put my burdens on another person. I put my burdens on the Lord. And she, when she found out, I told her and my kids Christmas Day, and they were all mad. It ruined Christmas. I thought, man, I thought I was doing you all a favor. It didn't require all this emotional attitudes. And she said, you need to tell us. I said, why? She said, so we can pray for you. I said, you're my wife. You're supposed to pray for me. I pray for you every day. You mean you hadn't been praying for me? That's your job, woman. You have two jobs. Pray for me and see if I can make as much money as you can manage to spend. That's your job. They took Jesus down the Via Dolorosa. They laid him down on a cross and they drove nails in his hands. He said, your hands have been used to hurt other people. I'm going to take the very hands that took life and I'm going to put some blood on them and you're going to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I'm going to put some blood on your hands. You're going to be able to lift up holy hands without wrath and dissension and give me a wave offering that I'll accept. That shame that you've never been able to wash off with soap, that stain that you've never been able to get out, I'm going to wash you in the blood and make you as white as snow. What the devil used for evil, I'm fixing to turn for good. And Jesus said, I'm going to put some blood on it. And they drove those nails in his feet. And he said, your feet have run swiftly to mischief and wickedness. But I'm going to put some blood on your feet. And everywhere you go, you're going to be a bearer of the gospel of peace. And you're going to share the gospel of good news everywhere you go. They put the crown of thorns on his head and crushed it in. And he said, you haven't been able to control your mind, but I'm going to put some blood on your mind so that my mind can be your mind. You can think on good things. You can think on noble things. You can think on things that are worthy of praise. You're going to be able to control your thoughts. You're going to be able to have authority over what happens in your mind because as a man thinks, so is he. I'm going to put some blood on your brain so you can have the mind of Christ that I am giving you today. And then they cast that spear into his side. And out of his side came water. And he said, you've got a heart that's not right, but I'm going to put some blood on your heart so you can have a heart of flesh, so you can have a heart that the laws of God have been written on your heart. Jesus said, everywhere the curses happen, I'm going to put some blood on it. And then he didn't stop there. The Bible says he ascended to heaven after the resurrection and after the ascension. He went to the altar and put his blood on it. Daniel had to wait 21 days for an answer to prayer. Because of the blood of Jesus, you and I can ask God now, and God heard it before you ask. Even before you call, God begins to answer. Because Jesus Christ puts some blood everywhere we needed it. Because of the blood, we have all things. Because of the blood, we have authority. 
Because of the blood, we have access. Because of the blood, we have our minds back. Because of the blood, we have our heart back. Because of the blood, we lay hands on the sick and they recover. Because of the blood, we walk and travel and share good news. Because of the blood, we pray and sickness has to go. Because of the blood, people's lives and hearts are changed so that they're not who they were. They're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And they're made new every morning because of the blood. Now, I'm going to pray with you real quick tonight, and I know that we're not supposed to gather at the altar, and that's okay. God knows everything that we're doing. God's not freaked out by human walls. Yeah. Like, you don't have to be touched. What did Jesus say to the centurion? I'll come to your house. He said, you don't need to do that. I'm a man under authority. Just send your word. That's a whole other scripture about the authority of God. People that understand authority walk in faith. People that rebel against authority, any God-established authority, always lose their anointing. Your relationship with authority determines the favor of God on your life. So we're going to be able to send the word. So if you need God to put some blood on you, a family member, physically, mentally, spiritually, a business, a hope, a dead dream that you need resurrected, would you just stand up? Just stand up. Come on, man. Worship team. Yeah. God can put some blood on it. How many of you are dealing with a family situation? Just slip up your hand. Okay. How many of you are dealing with a physical situation? Slip up your hand. How many people are dealing with a financial situation? Raise your hand. How many people have a relationship problem? It's breaking your heart. Raise your hand. How many of you know we just need God to put some blood on it? Because there's power in the blood. There's healing in the blood. There's cleansing in the blood. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I stand in your presence. God, we're hungry for your presence. We want to know you. We want to touch you. We want to experience your touch on our lives. God, you've seen your children with hearts that are broken and hands upraised. I know that nobody loves them more than you do. My heart is touched, but your heart is open. So, God, I pray for those that are dealing with sickness in their body. For those that are online and those that are in this room, that you would put some blood on it right now. Let the blood that Jesus shed curse diseases, sickness. God, not only heal the sick, but give us miracles tonight of testimonies that will come, of hopeless situations physically that you turned around. God, for those that are dealing with financial challenges, 
obstacles, crisis. God, would you put some blood on it? God, those that are dealing with depression in their minds and hopelessness in their spirit, thoughts of anxiety and fear, thoughts of inadequacy and insecurity, God, I pray the blood on those minds. God, those that are standing for family members that are gone, we pray that through the blood of Jesus, you would call them from the north, the south, the east, and the west, out of darkness into light. We bind the strong man that would hold those loved ones back and deceive them from seeing the light and the love of God. We call them out of darkness and into light tonight. God, I pray for people that have been sinned against and mistreated. And they need to be made whole in their heart. Lord Jesus, put some blood on it. And God, I thank you that you promised me if I prayed that you would hear me. And that if I ask anything according to your will, it would be done. So God, tonight I'm praying in your will that the blood would flow. By the anointing of the Spirit of God, let the blood flow. Yes. And God, we'll thank you that in Jesus Christ, we have all things and the victory. Amen.